Good morning. Praise the Lord. I'm going to get right in the Word this morning. If you would, turn in your Bibles to Revelation chapter 20. Praise the Lord. This is part nine of our series on the end. And um, I'm pretty sure you're going to hear a lot of things this morning that maybe you haven't heard taught before or preached before, but it is one of the fundamental doctrines of the Assemblies of God in almost all evangelical churches um, that I'm going to be preaching and teaching on this morning. So it's something we need to fully understand. Uh, Something I want you to pay attention to as I read the text this morning is there are six times the word thousand years is used in chapter 20 of Revelation. And so Revelation chapter 20 is an extremely important chapter And if we miss what chapter 20 is teaching, we won't fully understand what Jesus is going to do when he, um, when he returns on earth, um, to set up his kingdom. And so the title of this message, it's a long one, the 1000 year kingdom of Christ on earth. The 1000 year kingdom of Christ, don't forget this, on earth. Okay, so listen very carefully. Chapter 20, verse 1, it says, Then I saw an angel coming down from heaven, having the key to the bottomless pit and a great chain in his hand. Can you picture that? Quite a picture, isn't it? He laid hold of the dragon, the serpent of old, who is the devil and Satan, and he bound him. Boy, praise God, that is exciting, isn't it? Satan is finally bound. Um, Satan, uh, basically, um, a mighty angel is able to bind him up. And it says he bound him for how long? For a thousand years. That's the first time it's used. He cast him into a bottomless pit and shut him up and set a seal on him so that he could deceive the nations no more. Hallelujah. Till what? The thousand years were finished. But after those things, he must be released for a little while. So he's bound for a thousand years and is released for a little while. So that's the second use of a thousand years. And I saw thrones and they sat on them and judgment was committed to them. So Satan is bound and now thrones are being set up everywhere. Right? And judgment was committed to them. Then I saw the souls of those who were beheaded for their witness to Jesus and for the word of God, who had not worshipped the beast or his image. So thrones were set up, people were set up to judge, and then also, and those who were beheaded were also included, uh, who had not received the mark on their foreheads or their hands, and they lived and reigned with Christ for a thousand years. So the people on the thrones and those who were beheaded during the tribulation, it says that they reigned with Christ, lived and reigned with Christ for a thousand years. So what are they doing for a thousand years? Living and reigning with Christ. You can't miss it there. And the time period again, the third use a thousand years. But the rest of the dead did not live again until when? The thousand years were finished. And I spoke about this last week. The first resurrection is the group that are ruling and reigning with Christ, including those who are beheaded. And then after a thousand years, there's another resurrection, and that's those who are wicked are in the second resurrection. So if you missed it last week, I won't cover it again, but the first and second resurrection are very distinguished by this thousand year period. But the rest of the dead did not live again until a thousand years were finished. This is the first resurrection. Blessed and holy is he who has part in the first resurrection. Over such, the second death has no power. But they shall be priests of God and Christ and shall reign with him for how long? A thousand years. So there it is again. The fifth use. Verse 7, it says, Now when the thousand years have expired, how long? A thousand years. Satan will be released from his prison and will go out to deceive the nations who are in the four corners of the earth. Gog and Magog to gather them together for what? Battle. 
whose number is the sand of the sea. So how large is his army? Very large. You can't count it, it's so large. They went up on the breadth of the earth and surrounded the camp of the saints and the beloved city. So what did they do? They surrounded Jerusalem. And fire came down from God out of heaven and devoured them. The devil who deceived them was cast into the lake of fire and brimstone, where who is? The beast, which is the Antichrist, and the false prophet are. So they've been there for a thousand years. We'll see at the end of 19, I'll read in a minute. They've been there for a thousand years already. They're the first people that are actually thrown into that lake of fire. And they will be tormented day and night for how long? Forever and ever. Hallelujah. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come before you, Lord, and uh, we ask uh, that you bring clarity to your word, Lord. That we would understand, Lord, everything that is before us, Lord, and that we would um, um, understand your word and how um, how we um, how it affects our lives and how we react to it, Lord God. Father, I pray that we would be diligent and faithful to react in the in the in the proper way, Lord. That we would hear your word, do your word, be obedient to you, Lord God, and have an expectation and a hope of great things that are about to happen. In your name, Lord Jesus, and we thank you. And everybody said, amen. Hallelujah. So as we go in here, this is what's called the millennial kingdom. So if you hear somebody throw the word around millennial, the word millennial is not in the Bible. Um, it is a word that simply connects two words, milo, which means thousand, and anum or anol, which means year. So 1,000 years is the Latin word millennial. So people will refer, a lot of times, church uh, vocabulary here. They'll say the millennial kingdom or the Messiah's kingdom or Christ's kingdom. Messiah means the Christ, the anointed one. His last name wasn't Christ. He wasn't Jesus Christ from the family of Christ. Okay, He was Jesus, the Messiah, the anointed one. Uh, he was called the Christ because he fulfilled all the prophecies of the Messiah that was going to set up a kingdom on earth. And so many times what we do is we see the glorious appearing of Christ, which I'm going to read in a minute. We're going to go through the glorious appearing, but Christ appears in a glorious way. There's darkness over the whole earth, and I'm going to read all of the uh, judgments that have been on the earth, the, the devastation that's on the earth. And the Bible says in complete darkness, the sign of the Son of Man will appear and he will show up. And Revelation says he will show up on a charger, a white charger, a horse, and he'll have a name written on him that only he knows. It'll be King of Kings, Lord of Lords. He's going to split the sky and it says the entire world will see this appearing. It's called the glorious appearing. It will be the most dramatic moment in the history of the world when he appears. But a lot of times we as Christians believe that he appears on the earth and then we all just go to heaven. And we are in heaven and we just, sometimes we see the casual singing of hymns and floating on clouds and maybe playing an occasional harp. But um, as you read this, you begin to realize the reality of what's going to happen. And a lot of Christians just don't know this. And as you begin to read the Bible, you begin looking at um, certain scriptures. And I remember studying the Bible. In fact, I typed one in this morning that I, one of the first ones that I got stuck on. I started studying the Bible in my early 20s, day and night. And just started reading and reading and reading and reading. And I was doing a study on what is heaven going to be like. Because I wanted to know, you know, now that I'm redeemed, I'm living for Christ. And so what's it going to be like when Christ returns, the glorious appearing, what's the next moments going to be like? And you start running into a lot of scriptures that make your head scratch. You just scratch your head and you just say, hey, what, what is this all about? I'll give you one example. Isaiah 65, verse 17. It says, for behold, I create new heavens and a new earth. And the former should not be remembered or come to mind. How many like that scripture? And you read that and you say, wow, that's easy. 
a new heaven and a new earth. And we see this happening in Revelation 21. This is the heavenly state, the eternal kingdom that's going to be established. That happens and that's very easy for us to understand because that's what we believe happens. We just, Christ returns and then all of a sudden we're in the heavenly state, right? New heaven, new earth. Problem is that new heaven and new earth doesn't happen until after the thousand years. You have to understand that. And then it goes on and says, this is where it gets confusing, but be glad and rejoice forever in what I create. For behold, I create Jerusalem as a rejoicing and her people a joy. Okay, we're still okay. It says, I will rejoice in Jerusalem, my joy of my people. The voice of weeping will no longer be heard in her. The voice of crying, no more shall an infant there live but a few days. Nor an old man who has not fulfilled his days. For the child shall die 100 years old, but the sinner being 100 years old will be accursed. Let me read that again. No more shall an infant from there live but a few days, nor an old man who has not fulfilled his days. For the child shall die 100 years old, but the sinner 100 years old shall be accursed. So what they're saying here is, no longer will the infants die... And if a person lives to be a hundred and dies, they will be considered to have been accursed. Meaning that, and it goes in several other places and says that a person will die at a hundred and be considered very, very young when he died. And he will have died because he uh, wasn't um, righteous. He did something wrong. He was cursed. And so then you begin to say, well, wait a minute. New heaven and a new earth, that doesn't make any sense. Does something strike you there as strange? How will a person die if we're in the eternal state? How will a person die at a hundred and still be considered young? And will be have known that that person didn't live a good life is why he died young. And you start seeing these scriptures pop up, not just in Isaiah, but in several places. It starts explaining uh, things that don't make sense. Like, for instance, uh, in the eternal state, it says there will be no more seas. But then, in the thousand-year period, you see all kinds of promises that Israel will have their former bound- the boundaries that God promised, He will give to them, and it will be from one sea to the other sea. Well, how can there be seas and boundaries if there's no seas anymore? The eternal kingdom, there are no more sea, there's no more sun, There's no more temple, but in the thousand year millennial reign, there's a temple, there's seas, and there's a sun, and there's animals that are changing their behavior and living in a certain way. And so I'm going to go through about 10 or 11 things that happen in the thousand year millennial reign. And without the thousand year millennial reign of Christ on earth, there are a lot of scriptures that just simply would not be fulfilled. And this is one of them. The new heavens and the new new earth is what happens after the thousand years. And in the same prophecy, it talks about the thousand year reign where a person will die and be considered young at a hundred. So let's look at this one thousand year reign. But first, let me give a recap of uh, the book of Revelation. Uh, I ended a few weeks ago. uh, I did a sermon on the death toll. And I was talking about... um, Just up to a certain point of the tribulation, the Bible talks about a tribulation period. And it says that, um, it says that there will be a seven year period. It's called the 70th week of Daniel in the Bible. And in that seven year period, it's called the tribulation. And the tribulation will be a time that's worse than anything that will come upon this earth. And I was telling you that there is a rapture of the church. And uh, you can go back and listen to all the messages where God is literally going to rapture every believer from the face of the earth. And God wants us to be ready for that rapture. Because after that rapture will be what's called the tribulation period. And seven years will be worse than anything that's ever came upon the earth. In fact, after the seven seals, the Bible says that from those seven seals, the famine, the wars, the death, that one-fourth of the population will die. And so one-fourth, can you imagine if it's eight billion people, one-fourth is 
two billion people would die in a very, very short period of time. Then as I went through the death toll, we went through the trumpets. And by the time we get to the sixth trumpet, there is a massive army. And you say, you know, the Euphrates dries up in a massive army from the east of 200 million soldiers. The Bible says just from that army alone, one third of the earth is killed by that army. 200 million people. They're marching and the Euphrates has dried up probably from earthquakes or whatever happened, but the Euphrates has dried up. Now, Euphrates has always been the barrier between the east and the west. Um, It always was the barrier on the eastern part of the Roman Empire. And so now it dries up and there's an army. And, you know, China claims to have an army that big. Easily. It's going to have an army of 200 million now. Do you know the population when John wrote that wasn't even hardly 200 million at that time? In fact, it was right around 200 million was the entire population of the world. And uh, John was saying that there's going to be an army that's going to come across the Euphrates from the east that is 200 million uh, people in this army. And so after that particular army, there's one-third of the population. So one-half of the po- or one-fourth of the population, one-third of the population, that's 50% of the population has died by the sixth trumpet, which is toward the middle of the tribulation. And now, uh, in, in chapter Revelation chapter 16, uh, just to recap where we're going here, now we go into what's called the bowl judgments. And we've already lost a minimum of 50%, probably much more because there's so many other events that have occurred around those two events where 50% of the population um, is taken. And now we go into the bowls. And the bold judgments in in Revelation chapter 16, let me just give you a recap. Loathsome sores of the first bowl. So I went, poured the bowl upon the earth, and a foul and loathsome sore came upon men who had the mark of the beast and worshipped his image. So now everybody that took the mark, just those who took the mark, have sores and boils all over their body. We don't know what the mark is, but whatever it is, it causes boils to go on your body. It, It really is a terrible thing. And so they're in torment from the boils. Then the second angel poured a bowl into the sea and became blood as of a dead man. And every living creature in the sea died. Do you hear that? Every living creature. In the trumpets, there was something very similar, but it was a third of the population dying. Our third of the sea creatures died. I'm sorry. Now all of the sea creatures died. Do you realize the earth is almost uninhabitable at this point? Once all of the waters turn like this, it's uninhabitable. In fact, you can't have very much longer until Christ returns because it's uninhabitable at this point. It says the sea uh, became blood as a dead man. Every living creature died. Third bowl, the water, the angel poured the bowl in the rivers and the springs of water. They became blood. And I heard an angel saying, Lord, you are righteous. The one who is and who was and who is to be. It says, because you have judged these things, for they have shed the blood of saints and prophets, you have given them blood to drink, for it is their just due. And I heard another from the altar saying, even so, Lord, true and righteous are your judgments. So even the rivers, even the springs of water look like blood. I mean, how many know this is uninhabitable? I mean, if every other part of the Bible is true, we've also got to believe this too. And so then it says, the fifth bowl. Angel poured out the bowl on the throne of the beast. Who's the beast? The Antichrist. So on the Antichrist kingdom, what's going to happen? His kingdom became full of darkness and they gnawed their tongues because of the pain. They blasphemed the God of heaven because of their pains and their sores and they still would not repent of their deeds. So you got sores, you got Seas turning blood red. You got rivers and springs blood. All the sea creatures have died. Um, they have darkness so real that they gnaw their tongues. In fact, um, in, in Egypt, whenever this happened over Egypt, it says it was a darkness that could be felt. I may have ever been in a place so dark that you could actually feel it. <laughs> and so darkness is over the entire kingdom. And then it says, And the sixth angel poured out his bowl on the great river Euphrates, and the water was dried up, so the way of the kings from the east might be prepared. 
And I saw three unclean spirits like frogs coming out of the mouth of the dragon, out of the mouth of the beast, and out of the mouth of the false prophet. For they are spirits of demons performing signs, which go to the kings of the earth and of the whole world to gather them to the battle of the great day of the God Almighty. Behold, I am coming as a thief. Blessed is he who watches and keeps his garments, lest he walk naked and they see his shame. And they gathered them together to the place called in Hebrew Armageddon. How many armies does he gather together? It says, they go out to the kings of the earth and of the whole world to gather them to battle on the great day of the Lord Almighty. So as we begin to look at scriptures and we look at the explanations of this, and I'm not going to go into Armageddon this morning because it's not my sermon, but if you go by Daniel 11, uh, there are the kings of the south that the Antichrist, remember the Antichrist is this big ruler that felt like he was going to consolidate the whole world into a kingdom and he had a certain measure of success, but the Bible says it'll be a very fragile kingdom. It'll be like mixing clay and iron. It'll be very fragile. It'll break apart very easily. And so he tries to subdue the entire world. Well, how many know the kings of the world are not very happy about that? And so as he subdues the kings of the world, after the halfway point of the tribulation, uh, Daniel 11 says that the king of the south he tries to subdue, the king of the north gets upset and he comes into the battle. And then the kings of the east hear about it and then they come to join the battle. And so all of a sudden, how many know that the entire world is gathering together from Jerusalem all the way through the Valley of Megiddo? And the Bible says for 200 miles, there's armies from the entire world that have gathered together. One army alone is 200 million. And then the armies from all the other parts of the world. And this wasn't my sermon this morning. But this is the battle of Armageddon. This is the one you heard of. This is the big one. This is the one the Bible says there are going to be bodies for 200 miles. Imagine 200 miles. 16 stadia, the Bible says. 200 miles bodies up to the bridle of a horse. That's a lot of people. Gathered to fight each other. But then the Bible says that they found themselves together in this place. Um, it says, Then the seven angel poured his bowl into the air, and a loud voice came out of the temple of heaven from the throne, saying, It is done. And there were noises, thunderings, lightnings. There was a great earthquake, so, such a mighty and great earthquake as had not occurred since the men had been on the earth. Now the great city was divided in three parts and the cities of the nations fell and great Babylon was remembered before God to give her a cup of the wine of the fierceness of his wrath. And every island fled away. The mountains were not found. Great hell from heaven fell upon men. Each hellstone weighed about a hundred pounds. Men blasphemed God because of the plague and the hell since the plague was exceedingly great. And so just an update, God... The battle of Armageddon, they're gathered together. All these armies are together. Um, they're ready to fight. The Bible says they're ready. They, they ended up forgetting about each other, and they come to actually fight the Lamb in Jerusalem. Okay? And so then we go to Revelation chapter 17 and 18. 17 and 18 are what we call parenthetical inserts, meaning they don't chronologically happen with the events that are explained but they're explaining something that happens in that period of time. So chapter 17 talks about the religious system. Remember I talked about the religious system. This was the uh, first of the two beasts we see in Revelation 13 that I preached about. And it shows her end. She is a religious system that is persecuting Christians. And uh, any believer around the world are being persecuted and killed by this religious system that is connected to the Antichrist kingdom. So remember I told you that if you become a believer after the rapture, uh, they're going to be rounding believers up from around the world. And that is this religious system. In Revelation chapter 17, it shows the end of that system. How many think that's a great thing that that system um, was ending? In fact, the Antichrist turns on the fake religious system and it says she's eaten alive by the Antichrist. He has no need for her anymore and says we don't need false religion anymore. Worship me. And so he sets himself up as God. And then he does away with the religious systems because he doesn't want them. 
He shows his true colors. And, uh, and then Revelation 18 uh, shows the uh, Babylon, the system, the Antichrist system. How many have ever heard of a one-world government? Um, this system that the Antichrist has always wanted to establish, there will be a generation he'll establish it. It'll be during the tribulation. And Revelation 18 shows the uh, overthrowing of the Antichrist kingdom, the shattering of the kingdom. The kingdom is destroyed, and in one day, it's destroyed. In fact, what's very interesting is um, the Euphrates drying up is how the original Babylon was destroyed in one day. The Euphrates uh, was subverted, the river dried up, and in one day the great Babylonian kingdom fell. And so it looks like in the last day something very similar happens. When the Euphrates is dried up, that coincides with the end of the Babylonian system. So when these 200,000, um, um, this army of 200,000 comes across the Euphrates, it, it looks like it coincides with the Antichrist kingdom, which is Babylon. Um, it's going to be destroyed. So we go through 17, 18. Those are kind of inserted as a narrative of what's going to happen. And then we get to what I'm actually wanting to talk about today. The glorious return of Christ. And so in the middle of all this chaos, in the middle of all this man-made destruction of the earth, in the midst of all this wrath from the land that's came upon the earth, I mean, no, both of those things happen during the tribulation. In the midst of Armageddon and all these armies gathering together from Jerusalem all the way through the valley of Jehoshaphat, all the way up to the valley of Megiddo, which is northern Israel, all these armies have gathered. God has gathered all the armies of the world together in one location for the great battle. In the middle of all this, as darkness comes upon the earth, and all of a sudden, here's what happens. <clears throat> Revelation chapter 19. After these things, I heard a loud voice of a great multitude in heaven saying, Hallelujah. Salvation and glory and honor and power belong to the Lord our God for true and righteous are his judgments because he has judged the great harlot who corrupted the earth with her fornication. He's avenged the blood of his servants shed by her. Again, they said, Hallelujah. Her smoke rises up forever and ever. And the 74 elders and the four living creatures fell down. And worship God who sat on the throne, saying, Amen, hallelujah. Then the voice came from the throne said, Praise our God, all you servants and those who fear him, both small and great. And I heard, as it were, the voice of a great multitude, sound of many waters, sound of mighty thundering, saying, Hallelujah, for the Lord God omnipotent reigns. Let us be glad and rejoice, give him glory, for the marriage of the Lamb has come, and his wife has made herself ready. And to her it was granted to be arrayed in fine linen, clean and bright, for the fine linen is the righteous acts of the saints. Wow. Then he said to me, Right, blessed are those who are called to the marriage supper of the Lamb. And he said to me, These are the true sayings of God, and I fell at his feet to worship him. But he said to me, See what that you do not do that. I'm your fellow servant and your brethren who have the testimony of Jesus. Worship God for the testimony of Jesus of spirit of prophecy. Now here's what's happening. All this is happening on the earth, but what are all of the righteous doing? They're at a giant banquet. They're coronating the new king. They're celebrating the marriage of the righteous to the lamb. The marriage of the bride and the lamb. How many know this is the marriage supper of the lamb? Everybody who has been raptured, everybody who's been resurrected, all those who have been beheaded, and uh, stood up for their faith during the tribulation. All those people are gathered together for the marriage supper of the Lamb. And so we're going to sit down. We're going to have an elaborate, the greatest meal that's ever been prepared. Um, we're going to sit down with the Lamb of God. And we're going to celebrate His new kingdom. This is amazing. Would you rather be on earth at this time or would you rather be at that? We've already been in the judgment seat of Christ. We've already received rewards. We've already seen it, received a garment. We're all at the wedding feast of the Lamb. And then this happens. Now, I saw heaven open and behold, a white horse. And he who sat on him was called faithful and true. And in righteousness he judges and makes war. 
His eyes were like a flame of fire, and on his head were many crowns. He had a name written that no one knew except himself. He was clothed with a robe dipped in blood. His name was called the Word of God. The armies in heaven, hear that? Armies in heaven, that's us. The armies in heaven, clothed in fine linen, white and clean. We just came from a banquet. Follow him on white horses. So what are we doing? Following him, the great armies of heaven, us and the angels of God, probably with us, all together, on white horses. Now out of his mouth goes a sharp sword with it would strike the nations. He himself will rule them with a rod of iron. Did you hear how he will rule them? Who is them? Not us, we're with him. We're ruling with him. He says he will rule them with a rod of iron. He himself treads the winepress of the fierceness of the wrath of Almighty God. He has on his robe and on his thigh a name written, King of kings, Lord of lords. And I saw an angel standing in the sun. He cried with a loud voice, saying to all the birds that fly in the midst of heaven, Come and gather together for the supper of the great God, that you may eat the flesh of kings, the flesh of captains, the flesh of mighty men, the flesh of horses, and those who sit on them, and the flesh of all people, free and slaves, small and great. I saw the beast, the kings of the earth, and the armies that gathered together to make war against him who sat on the horse and against his army. Then the beast, which is the Antichrist, was captured. With him the false prophet who worked signs in his presence, by which he deceived those who received the mark of the beast, those who worshipped his image. These two were cast alive in the lake of fire burning with brimstone. And the rest were killed with the sword, which proceeded from the mouth of him who sat on the horse, and all the birds were filled with their flesh. Do you see all of the armies of the world? Not only the armies of the world, but something even comes out of the abyss. Some massive locusts that come out of the... We don't even know what these things are that are at this battle. But we know that there are armies, massive armies from around the world have gathered to fight. And it turns out, in that scripture, it says they're there to fight the Lamb. And so he shows up in the word of his mouth. He's got this army. We don't do any fighting. Just out of his mouth comes judgment upon the nations. And there's so many bodies. In fact, let me give you Jesus' definition. Matthew 24, 29. Listen to what he says. Immediately after the tribulation. So when is this going to happen? Into the tribulation. Of those days, the sun will be darkened. The moon will not give its light. The stars will fall from heaven. The powers of the heavens will be shaken. Then the sign of the Son of Man will appear in heaven. Then all the tribes of the earth will mourn. They will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. He will send His angels with a great sound of a trumpet and they will gather together as elect from the four winds from one end of heaven to the other. Zechariah says it this way, the Lord will go forth and fight against those nations. So what will the Lord go forth and do? Fight against nations. He fights in the, as He fights in the day of battle and in the day... His feet will stand on the Mount of Olives, which faces Jerusalem. So where will he stand when he lands? Exactly where he left, the Mount of Olives. He'll come back to the Mount of Olives. And it says, the Mount of Olives will split in two from east to west, making a very large valley. Half the mountain will move to the north and half will move to the south. So a massive earthquake happens when his feet touch the ground. And how many know that he'll be surrounded by the armies of the world? And he'll... His feet will land on Mount of Olives. That's going to be a scary sight for some people. <laughs> Listen to what uh, the angel told Mary, Matthew one thirty, And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And with his kingdom there will be no end. Now when did that happen? When did Jesus come down and rule over the Jewish people in a kingdom that will never end and will last forever? This is the moment. Jesus lands on the earth. And where have we been before coming to the earth with Jesus. 
Did you hear that we are going to be with him from the four corners of heaven? God is going to gather us all together. We're all going to be on white horses following him to the earth. We've been in heaven. We've been in the place that he's prepared for us. We've been there for however long, somewhere between one to seven years probably. Some of us have been there for seven years in the place that he's prepared for us. And I don't see anywhere where we don't have access to heaven anymore. But now it says we'll be with him forever. We'll never be away from him from that point forward when we go to be with him. So now we're coming with him to the earth to help him administer his kingdom on earth. And so we follow him And how many know we're participants in his kingdom that he's going to set up on this earth? You say, man, this is strange. I've not heard this before. Listen to this Psalm of David. The Lord said to my Lord, Psalm 110. The Lord said to my Lord. Now, isn't that unusual? The Lord said to my Lord. God said to God. That's the son and the father having a conversation. It says, sit at my right hand till I make what? Your enemies, your footstool. The Lord shall send the rod of your strength out of Zion. Rule in the midst of your enemies. Your people shall be your volunteers in the day of your power. Down in verse 4, it says, The Lord has sworn and he will not relent. You are a priest forever according to the order of Melchizedek. The Lord is at your right hand. He shall execute, listen to this, He shall execute kings in the day of his wrath. He shall judge among the nations. He shall fill the places with dead bodies. He will execute the heads of many countries. Boy, Chad, I haven't heard this before. I thought Jesus was meek and lowly. When he returns, it's not the same lamb that's going to die for the sins of the world. It's a lamb that has already died for the sins of the world and has offered free salvation and has been rejected. And when he returns to the earth, did you hear that? He will execute the kings in the day of his wrath. He will judge among the nations. He will fill the places with dead bodies. He will execute the heads of many countries. You know that there's going to be a cabal of leaders in this world that have so mistreated the people of this world. It says they're going to weep and wail when Babylon is destroyed. Read Revelation 18. All the wealthy of the world are going to cry and weep because their plan, the Bible says, failed. And Jesus is going to institute a righteous kingdom. It's called the kingdom of our Lord. It's called the messianic kingdom. And you say, well, how is he going to do that? Think about it. If I were going to institute a righteous kingdom on the earth, how would I do it? Well, Chad, you'd have to get rid of all of the wicked. Bingo. So Jesus lands on the Mount of Olives. And in Revelation 21 and 2, you know how he starts it all off? Might be a good way to start it off. How would you start it off? I saw an angel come down from heaven holding his hand in the key to the abyss and a heavy chain. He seized the dragon, the ancient serpent, that is the devil and Satan, chained him up for a thousand years. That's a good start. What a way to start an administration. I mean, we're in the political season right now. The first thing I'm going to do when I come into office is I'm going to chain the great serpent and put him in prison. That's a good start. So he can't deceive the nations anymore. So the first thing he does is he gets rid of Satan. Second thing he does is he restores peace. The Bible says that they will no longer... It says he will judge between the nations and will settle disputes for many people. They will beat their swords into plowshares. That means their weapons of war will become farm equipment, right? Their spears into pruning hooks. Nations will not take up sword against another nation, nor will they train for war anymore. So again, you read these prophecies. When did this happen in history? 
This is the problem you're confronted with. All of these prophecies are talking about a messianic age and we don't know when that is. But here's another one. For a thousand years, how many know that nobody will make war with any other nation? We'll have peace for a thousand years until the very end when he releases Satan for one more go at it. And I'm going to get to that in a minute. But how many know that we're going to have a kingdom that fully has peace? Why? Because the only ones who will enter that kingdom will be righteous. In fact, let me go through several more characteristics. And I'm going to come back to that point how only righteous are in that kingdom uh, when the messianic kingdom starts. Another thing that will happen. The Bible says that there will be worldwide worship. It says the nations, Micah 4, 2, the nations shall come and say, come, let us go to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of our God, of the God of Jacob. He will teach us his ways and we will walk in his paths. The Bible in several places, Daniel prophesies this, there was given him the Messiah, dominion and glory and a kingdom that all people, nations and languages will serve him. Uh, Isaiah eleven nine: the earth will be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. Now tell me again, when was this fulfilled? When was Israel the center of worship for the world? And when did all the nations go to Israel to worship? When did everybody say, let's go to Israel and let's worship God? When did the knowledge of the Lord cover the earth like the waters cover the sea? And every commentator agrees this is the messianic kingdom. There will be an age where the entire world of natural living people, every nation of the world, will come to Israel and they will all serve the one God. This is a fact. Israel will be exalted to its fullest glory. In fact, I'm not going to go through all the scriptures, but Israel literally is the center of the entire world. It's the capital of the world. Jesus is reigning from his throne in Jerusalem, in his temple. How many know that? And all the scriptures clarify that that's exactly what he's going to do. Um, The animals are not natural enemies anymore. Isaiah eleven six through 9 says, In that day, what day? The day of the Messianic kingdom. It says, A wolf and a lamb will live together. How many would have a cage where you'd put a wolf and a lamb? That little baby lamb and that wolf, and that wolf's like, that's lamb chops right there. But it says, The wolf and the lamb, they'll live together. The leopard will lie down with a baby goat. The calf and the yearling will be safe with a lion. And a little child will lead them around. How many would let your child lead a lion and a leopard and a. It says the cow will graze with the bear. The cub and the calf will lie down together. The lion will eat hay like a cow. It says the baby will play safely near a, the hole of a cobra. Yes, a little child will put his hand in a nest of deadly snakes without any harm. Nothing will hurt or destroy in all my holy mountain. For as the waters fill the sea, so the earth will be filled with people who know the Lord. Church, there's no other way to fulfill these prophecies unless there is the 1,000 year reign of Christ on this earth. Isn't that amazing? Nature will all change. The earth will be exceptionally fruitful. In fact, the Bible says during this period of time, uh, the earth will be so fruitful that the plowman will overtake the reaper. In fact, there are several prophecies about the land being more fruitful than it's ever been. In fact, uh, the Bible actually says in these prophecies, the Jews, um, this is a belief that all the Jews have about the period of time that Messiah will reign on the earth. And they believe that the curse will be like it was before the time of Noah. In fact, they believe that the land will be fruitful. The animals will change back to vegetarian like they were before the flood of Noah. And they believe that people will live to the ages that the patriarchs lived. And so we see just a complete change in the messianic kingdom. Um, 
In fact, here's another interesting one. Zechariah 14:17 says, If any of the people of the earth do not go up to Jerusalem to worship the king, the Lord Almighty, they will have no rain. If the Egyptians don't go up and take part, they will have no rain. The Lord will bring on them the plague he inflicts on the nations that do not go to celebrate the Feast of Tabernacles. This will be a punishment upon Egypt and all the nations that do not go up and celebrate the Feast of Tabernacles. Now, when did that happen? You know, the nations of the world are totally obedient to Christ. And for a thousand years, the world will be like that. And so how does that happen? We have to figure out who enters the Messianic kingdom. So I told you last week there are two resurrections. There's the first resurrection, which you want to be a part of, and that is those who are in Christ. Um, there are three different times. There's the first fruits. When Christ died, uh, how many know he was resurrected and there were some that were resurrected with him? Number two, there's the rapture of the church and we'll be resurrected and, and we'll be raptured in the moment in the twinkling of an eye. That's the second one. The third one we read at the beginning of Revelation 20, and that is where um, uh, the tribulation saints, the gleanings, the last of that resurrection are gathered together in that seven-year period. And how many know that resurrection are people that are given glorified bodies? So we will have a glorified body. We will uh, basically be in our eternal state. We'll be in a body that won't sin. We'll have a body that can't sin. We'll be in a glorified body like Christ. We'll rule and reign with Christ. We'll have already been in heaven. We'll come with Him on earth. We'll rule and reign with Him in the heavens and in the earth. How many know that? But then, at the battle of Armageddon, how many know that the Jewish people are preserved through the entire tribulation? The nation is, the Bible says she's taken into the wilderness She's preserved. How I many you know there are 144,000 evangelists who the enemy can't touch? So because the enemy can't touch them, what's he do? He goes after those other believers. And the Bible says in the battle of Armageddon, all these armies are destroyed. And it says that Jesus, in fact, let me give you the words of Jesus. <clears throat> Jesus said, when the Son of Man comes in His glory and all the angels are with Him and He sits on His glorious throne, does everybody know when that is? The end of the tribulation, it says, Son of Man comes in His glory, the angels are with Him and He'll sit on His glorious throne. That's in Jerusalem, right? Before Him will be gathered all the nations. We remember that, right? He will separate people one from another. This is Matthew twenty-five thirty-one, Jesus' words. He will separate people one from another as a shepherd separates sheep from the goats. And he will place the sheep on the right and the goats on the left. Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed of my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. I was hungry, you gave me food. I was thirsty, you gave me drink. I was a stranger and you welcomed me. I was naked, you clothed me. I was sick, you visited me. I was in prison, you came to me. Then the righteous will answer saying, Lord, when we were hungry, when did we feed you? You're thirsty, we gave you drink. And when did we see you uh, a stranger and welcome you or naked and clothe you? So when you did this to the least, you did it unto me. Then he said to those on the left, depart from me, you cursed, into the eternal fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. I was hungry, you gave me no food. This is the separation of the sheep and the goats. And what you have to understand about the separation of the sheep and the goats is, this is the end of the seven-year tribulation, and then this is where Jesus is sorting out, it's called the Valley of Jehoshaphat, the Valley of Decision. Jesus literally goes... Uh, to all the natural living people that are still on the earth and only the righteous live and the wicked are executed. There's no way around it. And so the only natural people that survive the separation of the sheep and the goats are those who are righteous. So those righteous, natural, living people, how many know there are still natural living people on the earth and, and, and a lot of you are looking at me really strange because you haven't heard the teaching before. But at the sheep and the goat judgment, Jesus will separate natural living people 
they will enter into the millennium, the 1,000-year reign of Christ. And those natural people uh, will be considered righteous and redeemed, and and Christ will rule them from Jerusalem. All the Jewish people, all the natural living Gentile people that are still alive that believed in Christ, they'll be separated, they'll still be on the earth, they'll be natural living people, they'll have children, right? And then uh, we'll rule reign in Christ, and we'll have glorified bodies. And so Christ's administration literally will be, he promised his disciples, you'll rule and reign with me. You'll judge the 12 tribes of Israel. So we'll be an administration of his government on the earth. And, um, and here's what's really amazing. This is a world that only has righteous governments all around the world. I mean, no, only the righteous enter the millennium. So you have a group of people that are all righteous, all love the Lord, a righteous government. They're blessed beyond measure with the ground. The animals are all at peace with each other again. Okay, there's no wars whatsoever. Jesus is reigning and ruling from Jerusalem. There's almost no disease even. People die at very old ages, and if you die young, it's because you weren't living right. And Jesus is very fair. In fact, there's lots of prophecies about how fair his justice will be and how happy everybody on the earth will be. And guess what happens? Satan is released for a very short time at the end of the thousand year period. He's let out of his prison to go deceive the nations. And guess what he's able to do? Of the children that were born from that righteous group of people that went in the millennium, there'll be so many willing to rebel against God that it measures like the sand of the sea. The rebellion will be so great that they will gather again around Jerusalem and God will just let it. He'll let them gather. There'll be the final gathering, the Bible says, of Gog and Magog around Jerusalem. And you say, well, why does God allow this to happen? Why the thousand years? Number one, God's got to fulfill a lot of prophecies in that thousand years. Number two, after a thousand years in a perfect world, we're still rebelling. There's still a large group of people that still do not want God. And at the end of that thousand years, those wicked people will be thrown into a lake of fire and then every wicked person that's ever lived will be resurrected from Hades, the holding cell, and they're still going to be wicked. After a thousand years, they still are going to be angry at God. They still are not going to want God. And God is going to demonstrate to everybody that the excuse that is we didn't have a good world. My life was bad. Somebody treated me bad. Somebody was evil. It wasn't that at all. You didn't want God. And God's going to prove it with a thousand year millennial reign. He's going to have a perfect world and sin is still going to say, I don't want God. Now, how can that be? But it happens. And so that is the millennial kingdom. And as we go this morning to the Lord in prayer, I want you to think about this scripture. We're going to close with communion. In fact, I need a communion my communion element. I want you to listen to what Jesus says in Matthew 26, 27. This is when Jesus is uh, taking communion with uh, taking communion with his disciples. The Last Supper, the very first when he instituted the, the communion at the Last Supper. He says, then he took a cup And when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, Drink from it, all of you. This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. I tell you, now listen to this, I will not drink from this fruit of the vine from now on until the day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. I won't drink it again He's getting ready to die. I won't drink it again until that day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. Now, when is that? That's the marriage supper of the Lamb. So Jesus says, I won't won't drink it again until 
that day when we're all together and we're about to set up our kingdom on this earth. Hallelujah. I'm excited about that. I mean, I've got a lot to look forward to. I'm telling you. You say, well, man, this is why I say the book of Revelation is not about the Antichrist. The Antichrist has a ragged kingdom. Yeah, worship team coming up. The, the Antichrist has a ragged kingdom that doesn't last very long. It falls apart. They never get along. They are always fighting. There's death and destruction, terrible things. But know this. Whenever that seven-year tribulation comes, we're so close to the return of the Lord. And, and, and at the rapture of the church, I'm going to be gone. The Bible says we're going to escape. We're not appointed to wrath. I'm going to be in heaven. I'm going to be enjoying heaven. I'm going to see the place he prepared for me. We're going to be in heaven enjoying the joys of heaven. And then Jesus say, okay, let's go to the marriage feast. And we're going to have this giant, massive feast. And we're going to meet every believer from the beginning of time until now. We're all going to sit. We're going to enjoy it. And some people are going to be on the earth. And they're going to be not enjoying it. Because tribulation is a terrible time that God doesn't want us to be a part. doesn't want any human being to be there. He's given an invitation to escape it. But we're going to be at a marriage supper. We're going to have been in heaven for years. We're going to see everybody that's died, everybody that has served Christ. We're going to not have any more tears. We're not going to die. We're not going to have sin anymore. We're not going to be struggling anymore. We're not going to have diseases anymore. Do you know that every sickness is healed? Everyone, the only question is timing. Will it be healed today? Will it be healed tomorrow? Will it be healed next week, next month, next year? Or do I have to wait till I see him? But all of them are going to be healed if you're in Christ. And so we're going to be healed completely. We're going to be at the marriage supper of the Lamb. Jesus is finally going to partake of what we're partaking of today. And we're going to eat it together. And then he's going to land on this earth. And this earth is going to have its golden age. The earth is going to be what God foreseen it to be before Adam failed. See, Adam failed to, to reign in righteousness or he would have experienced this world that God is bringing through Jesus Christ. And so the world that we were supposed to have, we're going to have through Jesus Christ because it's going to be righteousness that's going to cover the earth. It's going to be righteous people covering every nation of the earth. They're all going to be obedient to God. They're all going to come to Jerusalem. Jesus Christ is going to rule and reign. Every government, the Bible says the government will be on his shoulders. How many would vote for that? Praise God, I'm ready. I'm ready. But know what's coming. When you see that the tribulation is closed, look up. Because your, redeem, your, your redemption draweth nigh. means it's coming very close. We're going to be with him. And shortly after that, we're going to rule and reign with him. I don't know if I'm going to be willing to leave heaven, though. But I'm going to come with him. We're going to set up the kingdom on this earth. This old world is going to be totally forgotten. We won't even hardly remember how it used to be. But uh, we're going to come with Christ. How many think that's awesome? Hallelujah. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, Lord, we come before you. Lord, we're just so thankful for this kingdom of our Lord, the kingdom of the Messiah. Lord, that you are true. Lord, every prophecy, every promise will come to pass. And Lord, we look forward to the day. Oh, Lord, when you come in the glorious appearing, Lord, when we're with you, Oh, when your glory covers the earth, Lord God, this earth, all of its scars, all of its wounds, Lord God, all of its sins. Lord God, you restore this earth, Lord God. Oh, Lord God, we yearn for the day we... That's where our hope is, Lord, in you. And Lord, right now, we just... Uh, Lord, we give ourselves to you, Lord. Lord, we trust in you. Father, we won't be focused on what's around us, Lord God, but we'll be focused on who you are, Lord. Oh, Lord, let our eyes be on you. Hallelujah. I just want you to take a few moments this morning before we go to the Lord in communion and just um, 
Let's talk to the Lord. The Lord says it's so simple that a fool need not err. That's one of the messianic promises that even a fool will find his way on this path, the Bible says. And so I just challenge you this morning to uh, talk to the Lord. Tell Him you love Him. Tell Him you trust Him. take communion this morning just tell him how much you're looking forward to that day we can have it with him this fabulous banquet the presence of the Lord oh hallelujah sometimes I don't think we sit and dream enough about what it's going to be like we don't uh, picture picture of the eastern sky the glorious appearing we don't think about this kingdom on this earth sometimes our thoughts are all in this world around us Father, I pray that you set our sights higher, Lord. Oh, set our sights higher, Lord God, than just what's happening today, tomorrow in this world, in this life. Oh, Lord, seat us in the heavenlies, Lord. Let us see what you see, Lord. Hallelujah. We're going to go to the Lord. We're just going to worship before we take communion, and I'll close with communion. Let's just worship the Lord. Hallelujah. Man, as I was worshiping, I was thinking how blessed we are. Man, I cannot wait to be with the Lord. I can't wait to see the potential this world has. Jesus essentially is saying, okay, you've had the earth for thousands of years. Now let me show you how it's supposed to be, how blessed this earth can be. And God demonstrates that through the kingdom of Christ. And I can't wait to see the world just unleashed and to see the blessing that this world can have uh, when there's no evil. When Jesus administrates everything, He rules and reigns on this earth. Hallelujah. That blesses me to think about. Hallelujah. In 1 Corinthians eleven twenty three, Jesus said, For I received from the Lord what also passed unto you. The Lord Jesus, on the night that He was betrayed, took bread. And when He had given thanks, He, he had given thanks, He broke it and said, This is my body which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Hallelujah. I gladly uh, receive Christ today. Hallelujah. I mean, you're so thankful that he died for us. Hallelujah. It's our only hope in this world that he died for us. Hallelujah. Let's give thanks for this. Hallelujah. Lord Jesus, we love you so much, Lord. Lord, we recognize who you are, Lord God. Lord, we don't worship you for the things that you do, Lord God, or for the things that you give, Lord God. We worship you for who you are, Lord. You are the Messiah, Lord. You are the King of heaven and earth. You are the one that's going to restore everything. Lord, we worship you today and we thank you you thought enough of us, Lord, to come and die for us, Lord. We thank you, Lord. And Lord, we thank you for your resurrection to life, Lord. Hallelujah. In Jesus' name. Hallelujah. It says, in the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, this cup is a new te- covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. 
Father, whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Let's give thanks. Heavenly Father, we love you. Lord Jesus, we thank you for your covenant. Lord, that you shed your blood to to make the promise to us, Lord, through your blood. Lord, of a kingdom that will last forever. Lord, of entrance into this kingdom, Lord God, of eternal life. Lord, we thank you for your blood and what it means to us today, Lord. We thank you today in Jesus' name. Bless them in your name, I pray. Amen.